0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: We'll invite you to turn to some of the text scriptures that we've uh, been using for this series. We're talking about how to be led by the Holy Ghost. Our main text scripture is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Paul writing to the church said, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Son of God. So he tells the makeup of man, the entirety of the completeness, the wholeness of man's makeup. He is a spirit being, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. Now we also know that uh, the Bible tells us, he wrote to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians 5.17. He said, If any man be in Christ, all things are passed away and all things become new. Well, what things pass away and what things become new? We know the things of the body don't pass away, and those those things don't become new. And we know things of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Those things don't pass away, and those things don't become new at the new birth. So what things pass away and what things become new? He's talking about becoming new spiritually. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That which is born again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's talking about the new birth or the recreation of the human spirit. When you were born again, God didn't just say, Well, okay, I'll pass over everything that you've done. He made you a new spirit being. It's The Bible is really specific when it calls you a new creation or a new creature in Christ Jesus because it's something that never existed before Jesus was raised from the dead. You are a brand new species of being. And those old things was the old spirit that passed away. And all things, spiritual things, have become new. You don't have a spiritual past. At the new birth, you're recreated just like a baby is born. We don't look at a baby and say, oh, what a sweet little innocent child, but oh, what a terrible past it's got. It has no past. It's brand new. You are a brand new spirit being. We know, therefore, that it's important for us to measure our own spiritual things, although we have to take care of natural things and so forth. But you know as well as I do that billions of dollars are spent every year in this country alone for the development of the the human body. Fitness and nutrition and so forth is a multi-billion dollar industry every year. People pay money, good money, hard earned money, every day of their lives for the development and the upkeep of their bodies. You know as well as I do that even more money is spent to develop and train and fit the human soul or the mind, the intellect, with all the institutions of higher learning. That's maybe a misnomer nowadays. But at least that's the title they use, institutions of higher learning and, and graduate studies and continuing education and so forth, is all designed to uh, develop or equip or fit the human mind, the intellect, which is a part of the soul. But what effort is made by the world to develop their spirits? Very little of any. You start talking about spiritual things, you t- start talking about man being a spirit being the, and having the opportunity not only the responsibility, but just the opportunity to develop and train himself spiritually. And most churches, most pastors, most ministers will look at you like you're crazy because it's just an unknown subject in the church world. Shouldn't be, but it is. I believe that's one of the greatest works of the devil in his operation of deception against the church is to keep the church blind to who we are as being spirit beings, what belongs to us, and how to train and develop our spirits. Because that's where the real victory in life is. to so the training and education and development of the human spirit. Well, in Romans chapter 4, verses 14 and 16, these are also two other text scriptures we've been using. Romans four eight fourteen, excuse me, says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Meaning every child of God should be led by the Holy Ghost. Every child of God can be led by the Holy Ghost. And as far as God's concerned, he'll always do his part to guide us. But then the question that has to be asked, how? Verse 16 tells us, the spirit itself, King James says itself, he's not an it. The, the spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. The most important thing that there is for the, the believer, the Christian, to know in his life is that he is a child of God. And notice the way that God causes you to know that is that he bears witness with your spirit. He doesn't bear witness with your mind. He doesn't use circumstances in the natural realm to show you or teach you or train you. The Bible says in the most important things, which indicates to us that it will work this way in every other area as well, in the most important things, and even in the smallest details of life, the Holy Ghost will bear witness with your spirit. Well, if the church doesn't know that they are spirit beings, if they, don't know, if they don't know what bearing witness with the spirit, the spirit of God bearing witness with their spirit means, how are we going to effectively be led by the Holy Ghost? I would submit to you that most of the church isn't. Most of the church world doesn't know, and therefore most of the church world misses out on the leading of the Holy Ghost. Finally, our, uh, our last text text Scripture, I'll get it out in a minute, is in Proverbs chapter twenty and verse twenty-seven. The spirit of man, everybody say the spirit of man. Amen. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Another translation says the light or lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, in the, the day that the proverbs were written, they used little oil lamps to to give uh, light in darkness, to enable you to sh- to, to see your path as you were walking in the dark. They use the lamp to represent illumination and revelation. So it says, the Bible is teaching us a principle that the spirit of man is the means whereby God will use to enlighten you and to reveal himself to you. Not through your mind, not through your body. Most of the the work that's done in, in religious circles is in the soulless area. You've got Ministers and and pastors and rabbis, well not rabbis, that would be the wrong group, wouldn't it? But uh, uh, priests and so forth that have got all these letters at the end of their names. They've got doctor's degrees and all this kind of stuff. What have they done? They've trained their minds. But what about the training and the educating of the spirit? Folks, you cannot overemphasize how important the development and the training of the human spirit is. Well, the Bible tells us how to do it. It says it comes through the word. It says it comes through the word. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. He didn't say the words I gave you are supposed to change your mind alone. He said the words that I speak unto you are spirit and they're life. He went, he went further and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said the key to life is the word of God. Now what kind of life is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the life of God. He's not talking about just physical existence. He's talking about the life of God. There's one and only one thing that's been given to the mankind to feed us spiritually, to develop us spiritually, and to train us spiritually, and that's the Word of God. Now, turn with me to, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to talk to you about another classification of uh, being that the Bible speaks of classification of Christians, I want to start reading in verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 12, First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul's writing to the church and he says, now we have received, not going to receive, but we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Well, what spirit is of God? The Holy Spirit. So notice he contrasts the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the world. Now, where would the spirit of the world operate? Here in this world in other words he's saying there's a spirit that's operating in this physical and natural realm and it's not the holy ghost so that does away with the idea that god's in control of everything that goes along here everything that takes place in the earth hurricanes are acts of god no they're acts of the spirit of this world the holy ghost bears witness with your spirit he doesn't operate in the physical realm and that's what paul is saying He's saying, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. For what purpose? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Notice God doesn't show you what he gives you through natural circumstances. Well, how does he show you then? He shows you through the word. Which things also we speak? Not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Notice there's two kinds of wisdom. Just like there's two spirits that are operating, there are two kinds of wisdom. There's a man's wisdom, intellectual wisdom, and there's Holy Ghost wisdom. Now what does the Holy Ghost wisdom do? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. The Holy Ghost wisdom will teach you to compare spiritual things with other spiritual things. In other words, not spiritual things with natural things. Not spiritual things with intellectual things. Spiritual things with spiritual things. In other words, the word of God to your situation. You begin to look at things in a spiritual manner. And you'll operate in Holy Ghost wisdom, God-given wisdom. But the natural man, verse 14, here's what I want you to see. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now please notice that he's saying that the natural man, we'll define who the natural man is in a moment. Notice he's saying that the natural man cannot, not just doesn't choose to, but cannot receive the things of God. For their foolishness unto him. Now who is this natural man he's talking about? He's got to be talking about the unsaved. He's got to be talking about the unsaved. But now let's go a little bit further. What is it about the unsaved that puts them in this category? Well, first and foremost, they're spiritually dead. Anybody that's unsaved has not been and cannot be made a new creature until they make Jesus the Lord of their lives. They haven't been born again, so they're spiritually dead men. But what do spiritually dead men do? Well, they think and act in line with the spirit of this world. The world has its way of thinking. The world has its way of operation, and neither one of them are in line with what God and the Holy Ghost will direct you to do. So the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he receive them, or can he know them rather, because they are spiritually discerned but verse 15 but he that is spiritual judges all things the word judge means to search out and investigate in other words the man that's spiritual compares spiritual things with spiritual things he that is spiritual judges all things it doesn't say judges people The Bible says not to judge people but the Bible says to judge things Jesus judged things but and told us how he said you can judge a tree by the fruit that it produces but what's the importance of knowing that? Well, there's no importance to know that unless you're going to use it to judge things. That's the only place that it's beneficial. That he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now, I want you to notice he's used, he's just identified two classifications of people, a natural or an unsaved man and a spiritual man. Keep that in mind. He goes further in verse 16. He said, for who had known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. The reason he puts that in there is just very simply saying, and, and allow me to paraphrase, you judge this for yourself. But he's just simply saying, when we're operating by the Holy Ghost wisdom, when we're operating according to the leading of God, as spiritual men, judging spiritual things with spiritual things by the Word, that's operating according to the mind of Christ.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Now whatever somebody, you or me, or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why He healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened because behind you is the cross and on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness.
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Now, you know as well as I do that Paul didn't write in chapter and verses. Nobody does. He wrote a letter. So chapter 3 is continuing on the same thought. Let's start reading in chapter 3 now, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual. Now, he's talking to brethren, meaning Christians, so these are people that are saved. So now he's saying, I can't speak to you as spiritual people. You're not natural, unsaved. So what are they? I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, he brings a third classification or a second classification of Christians, however you want to look at it. A second classification as Christians. The first classification of Christian he uses is spiritual. That's what we should attain to be. The second classification of Christians that he identifies is the condition that the Corinthian church is in. He says they are carnal Christians. What does carnal mean? Well, this word carnal means body ruled. In other words, they're still operating like the natural man, they're saved. They've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus, but they're still operating according to the natural man's desires and, and thoughts and actions, behaviors. Folks, I would submit to you that's where most of the modern church world is. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as under babes in Christ, baby Christians, in other words. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. A lot of people make a big deal about milk versus meat and that kind of thing. If you look at the, the letter that Paul writes here in to the uh, Corinthian church, what he calls milk is way, 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 way more than most churches ever get. But folks, notice that Paul is trying to overcome certain things. One of the things he's trying to overcome here is the carnality, the body-ruled condition of the early church. So he says, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Notice what Paul uses as the proof that they are carnal or body ruled. They're divided, they're in strife, they're jealous of one another, they're human. Well, Pastor Mike, are we as Christians not supposed to be human? You're not supposed to live like it. You're not supposed to. When I say human, I mean living according to the natural man's desires and and behavior. You're not supposed to live according to the way the natural man thinks. You're not supposed to live according to the way that the natural man behaves. And again, I'm talking about the unsaved. You look at some of the polls that are done in the church. I was uh, uh, impressed by one couple of years back. It was college-age students. How many college age students uh, think lying is wrong? Lying? I mean, isn't lying one of the big ones? I mean, doesn't everybody know lying's wrong? And the percentage of Christians, Christian students, Christian college students, that thought lying was wrong was just pitiful. They asked the same question about cheating on tests. And everybody would justify it and say, well, if you have to, you know, to get by, then it's okay. Folks, the world is not supposed, or the church is not supposed to live like the world. The unsaved are supposed to be able to see a difference between us and them. And there's only one thing that's going to make that happen, and that is for the church to become spiritual beings. Live according to the spiritual rebirth and recreation that's taking place on the inside of them. And that's only through the word. Now turn with me over to uh, to Romans chapter 7. Let me show you another place where Paul uses this word carnal. Romans chapter 7. Paul's speaking of his own experience. I won't read through this whole thing, but we'll kind of hit some high spots. But Paul is talking about his own experience after he got born again. After he was recreated in the image of Jesus by making Jesus the Lord of his life. Now Paul had quite a conversion experience. He was on the road to Damascus in, um, um, on his way to persecute the church, imprison Christians, maybe kill some. All because they preached Jesus and claimed the name of Jesus superseded the law of Moses. And it was quite effective. It was having uh, uh, quite a great deal of success in Jerusalem. One man getting saved in Acts chapter 3 caused 5,000 people. Well, I'm sorry, one man getting healed. In Acts chapter 3, the beautiful gate of the temple caused 5,000 people to get saved. That was just one event. 3,000 people had gotten saved on the day of Pentecost when they began speaking with other tongues. So we know the church is 8,000 plus 120 at the very least in a short period of time. It's tremendous success, booming success. And when it starts spreading outside of Jerusalem, man, the high priests and the council, they figured, we've got to do something about this. Well, Paul was their guy. He was known as Saul then. But Saul took letters, authority from the church of Jerusalem. Not the church. You, you know what I mean. The Jews in Jerusalem, the high priest. And he's going to do everything that he can to stop the spread of the name of Jesus. Well, God had other plans. So a light shined around about Saul and his company. When they were on the road to Damascus, and Saul fell to the ground. And he heard a voice, couldn't see anything. He was blinded because of the, the brightness of the light, couldn't see anything. And he called out and said, uh, there was a voice that he heard from heaven. It said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, Paul's answer is very interesting. This is in Acts chapter 9. Paul's answer was really interesting because he said, who art thou, Lord? I don't know who you are, but you are, Lord. And the voice answers and says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Well, Paul, the man that would become Paul, now has an experience where he knows that he knows that he knows that Jesus is raised from the dead and Jesus is Lord. And he asks him, What would thou have me to do? There's two things Paul did on the road to Damascus. One is, he found Jesus, he identified that Jesus was risen, and he called him Lord. Then he submitted his life to him. Folks, that is the principle of salvation, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, after Paul saved, what happens? Does all of a sudden everything work out for him and he knows instantly everything that we know in the Bible now and study in the Scripture? No, he had to learn the same way that we learned. He learned little by little. And he struggled with some of the same things, some of the same temptations, some of the same fleshly desires that you and I do. He was just as human as us. And he describes his growing experience in chapter 7. Notice beginning in verse 14. Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, when he calls himself carnal, he's saved. He's talking about the position that he was in after he was born again. And, and here's the struggle that he has. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. Now, I'm sorry for the poor translation. You can get it, but it's it doesn't jump out at you. That which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. In other words, he's saying, I can't control my flesh. The things that I, the man on the inside wants to do, are not the things that my body winds up doing. And the things that my body does are the things that the man on the inside despises. I, can't, I don't have control here. I want to control myself. I don't want to do the wrong thing. But though the wrong thing is what I catch myself doing. Well, what's the conclusion that he comes to? And, folks, this is the key. He comes to an understanding. He comes to an understanding of reality. In other words, the Holy Ghost bears witness with his spirit to cause him to understand how things really are. He concludes this, he said in verse 16, if then I do that which I would not. Now, the eyes of the translators are a little difficult here. The eyes, really the eyes, the man on the inside. When he talks about the things that he's doing, he's talking about his flesh. And he makes that distinction. He says, for if I do that which I from the inside would not, I from the heart consent unto the law that is good. In other words, he's saying, I've identified that the man on the inside always wants to do the right thing. Even when the man on the outside is doing the wrong thing, the man on the inside wants to do right. Now then, verse 17, it is no more I that doeth, that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Notice the distinction he makes. He makes the distinction between, and the first indication we have that uh, Paul's understanding about spiritual things. First indication we have of Paul's understanding about man being spirit, soul, and body he finds out the same way we do, only we have a much greater advantage. We can take advantage of his learning. So he's making a distinction. He's realizing something. He's saying there's a man on the inside that always wants to do right. And if the behavior of my flesh goes against what the man on the inside wants, it's not the man on the inside that's doing it. Now, who is this man on the inside? Well, Paul's the one that tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. That Jesus was made sin, who knew no sin. He was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. And if you haven't meditated on this, you're going to you, people could take this the wrong way and use this as, uh, say that I'm saying that I'm something that I'm not saying. I realize that this is open and subject to in, misinterpretation in a big, big way. So I'm just going to throw it out there and let God deal with you about it however you want to take it. But the reality is this, in the middle of your sin, you, the man on the inside, is still righteous. That's what Paul is identifying. Now, again, when you say that, some people say, oh, oh, I wish you wouldn't say it like that. Well, what other way is there to say it? You worthless thing, you? The devil's already saying that to you, isn't he? He always has to me. What other way is there to say it? Folks, the action of your flesh doesn't change the condition of your spirit. And the condition of your spirit, because you made Jesus the Lord of your life, is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Period. Now, you don't drift in and out of righteousness. You may drift in and out of righteous behavior. But that's not who you are. That's just what you're doing. Let me go a step further. There is no spiritual sin that a Christian can commit. Consider that with your kids. If your kids do something that's not against you, that they never stop loving you from their heart, but they're just making mistakes and learning their way through life and stumbling and tripping up and stuff like that, how upset can you be with them? You may be disappointed. You may be disappointed from for their sake because they forfeited some of the blessing during the time that they were learning, but they didn't hurt you. They hurt themselves. Folks, when you sin, you don't hurt God. You hurt you. And God doesn't want you hurt. That's why he tries to give us boundaries. That's why he gives us commandments in the word to tell us, don't go there, don't do that, because he doesn't want you hurt. It doesn't hurt him. Now, again, some people might say, well, if I'm going to be righteous no matter what, why don't I just do whatever my flesh wants to do and enjoy life? Well, go ahead and try that. See how much you enjoy that. Folks, real Christians are terrible sinners. That doesn't mean they're not good at it, but they're never happy with it. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the things that I catch my flesh doing are not the things that I want to do from the inside. So what does he conclude? It's no more I that does it. It's not me. It's not the man on the inside that's really doing these things. It's my flesh that I haven't learned to dominate. And that's what he concludes. It's not me. Me is the one on the inside that always wants to do right. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost will guide us into all truth. The Bible also tells us that we've been made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. That means the Holy Ghost will always guide us into victory. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: What's the revelation Paul got? Two things. Number one, God's not mad at me even when I stumble and fall over the desires of my flesh. And number two, I've already been set free.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit filled lives through God's Word.